Hello and welcome to APW's Property Podcast Series. APW helps people who are currently living overseas to buy property in the UK and they've been helping the expat community to do just this for many years now. Part of that help is putting out information across a variety of channels, YouTube, LinkedIn, social media, magazines, ebooks, and these podcasts, which are posted online in all your usual podcast places every Monday. Today's episode is part of a mini-series, a, a series within a series, if you like. APW have distilled their advice into a simple seven-step process for buying property, and we're looking at episode four today. Uh, joining me to explain how to go about it all is the ever-cheerful Callum Williamson. Hi, Callum. Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. In your bright Bermuda shirt today. Um, That's right. Yes, I've just got back from Bermuda, so um, trying to trying to bring the weather with me by wearing the shorts, which I've got on, and the shirt. So excellent. Well, uh, Ben Lewis uh, is also joining us. Uh, hi, Ben. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me. Uh, you'll be needing some sunglasses because of the colour of that shirt that Callum's wearing, I, I guess. I'm trying not to look directly at him. <laughs> okay. okay, well, let's um, uh, let's just have a recap of this seven-step process. Um, and let's have, uh, what were the first three steps, Callum? Yeah, so the first three, uh, we do them in this order because it's the you know, order we think makes the most sense. So you start with defining your goals, which is something we do when we're speaking to clients or people for the first time. We're always trying to define goals initially. And then off the back of that, everything else is easier. So we're defining goals. Stage two is choosing a location. And then the third stage is getting a mortgage sorted and sorting your decision in principle. And step four is? Conveyancing and getting your legal sorted. Exciting. Okay. Well, uh, regular listeners might already have heard the excellent podcast we did with the legal expert Stephen Clark from top law firm Russell Cook, who took us through the conveyancing process from start to finish. So do have a listen to those as well if you haven't already. But for now, uh, remind us, Ben, uh, what is conveyancing? Sure. So it is the process of transferring the legal title of a property from one person to another. Okay, I'm going to stop you there. Um, the legal title, what's that? Yeah, sure. So basically at the land registry, so they are responsible for holding the register of all the title deeds to property in England and Wales. Now, modern title deeds are in fact uh, the land registry title register and the, the well, the title plan that will accompany with it. Uh, in Scotland, the titles are held by the, the Register of Scotland or the Sassin. Am I pronouncing that correct? I guess so, yeah, Sassin. Oh, you just put on a Scottish accent, so Sassin. Yeah, yeah. Sassin, register. <laughs> but yeah, that is the oldest national public land register in the world and dates back to, I believe, sort of the 1600s. Um, did you okay. just pull that off? that fact at the top of your head uh, a little bit of research beforehand yeah, always goes okay um, well uh, Scotland always likes to do things a little bit differently so as with all of these things it's uh, always best to check whether there are different regulations in England Northern Ireland Scotland and Wales uh, but here we're mostly going to be talking about England so why is transferring title that difficult okay good question I think just to answer your previous point there it's it's sort of it's slightly different, but it's, you know, same, same, but different, as they say in Asia. So similar sort of process, but it's slightly different. In Scotland, for example, you can have a freehold on a flat, which you can't in the UK, but uh, freehold and leasehold are pretty similar things. But that's another podcast topic. So why is it difficult to transfer the, uh, the title? Uh, it depends. You know, it can be straightforward. 
but it's also full of pitfalls. How can you be sure the person you're buying from owns the property? If you have a mortgage, the lending company will want to know that the money they're lending is secure. So there are lots of checks they require, such as you know, getting a valuation done and sending someone around to make sure there's no <clears throat> flood risk or other risks to the property. So um, it, can, it can be difficult, yes, but it can also be pretty easy. We're into the realm of caveat emptor here, which is, uh, for those who are not familiar with that Latin phrase, caveat emptor, beware buyer or buyer beware. So it's a general principle in English law it, that uh, it's not the fault of the seller uh, if you bought a, something duff. Yeah, um, and, and, and that's it, right? And, you know, the easy, easy way around that is to, um, you know, to work with a team of legal professionals that will do all those checks for you, you know, and you just pay them pay them a usual fee which is an extortionate and they do it and you don't need to worry about it. but i think that's okay well, so ben uh, who can do conveyancing who are these legal professionals yeah sure so in reality there are two types um, of people who can do that you can go down the usual route um look at sort of a high street firm and you're conveyancing or real estate solicitors or you can you can find people who have trained and those are just just called conveyances Okay, so they um, they just concentrate on convincing. There is some uh, little quirky rule, I think, which is that uh, solicitor. It's about operating for both sides of the process. So sometimes, if you go through an estate agent, they might be uh, giving you someone who is working on behalf of the seller as well as on behalf of the buyer. But if you want your own uh, check, you might have to use a convincing solicitor. I think I've got that right. But uh, as I say, check with the podcast from our expert uh, lawyer Stephen Clark uh, in an earlier version. Uh, so where would you find a conveyancer and where, where where do they need to be registered? Okay, so there's a couple of ways you can do it. I mean, if you're, you don't have any network or connections, um, then you can just start with the Google, to be fair, you know, find some ones with good reviews and, and see what they're doing uh, online. This is what we did when we made videos about buying a property from overseas. And, you know, you can even sort of stress test them and call them yourself to see what the, uh, you know, what they're like. But um, often when you're buying property, whoever you're buying from, if it's off plan or if it's a, a developer you're working with or if it's an estate agent, often they will have a, a conveyancing team that does this for them and is very proficient in it. So my favorite means of doing it would just be to ask whoever you're buying the property from who their recommended team is. And most, you know, nine times out of 10, they'll have someone that's good that they use on a regular basis because if they weren't good, they wouldn't be doing it on a regular basis. So I think that's okay. the easiest way. And I, okay. And you can always check online as well. Uh, but uh, the important thing is accreditation and uh most conveyancers and solicitors, they're going to be regulated by um, the Council for Licensed Conveyancers, that's the CLC, or the Solicitors Regulation Authority, that's the SRA, the Law Society of Scotland, that's the LSS, the Law Society of Northern Ireland, that's the LSNI, or the Chartered Institute of Legal Executives, that's CILEX or SILEX. Um, so uh, check that they're accredited uh, so that they know what they're doing. Um, uh, how much do they cost, Ben? Well, Paul, it really it really does depend um, on on the transaction itself. So, for example, if it's a more complex transaction where it's a leasehold, if it's a flat, um, if it's a second home, or if there's any sort of buy, if there's a buy to let, if the buyer has um, helped to buy, 
um, then there are going to be um, some additional charges involved. But typically uh, for a residential property purchase, the fees will be um, in the realm of sort of £850 to £1,500. Now, the fees will usually include the solicitor's time and letters, the searches, so your uh, water and drainage, your environmental searches, and your uh, local your local searches as well, which are technically are disbursements. But um, yeah, we'll come on to the we'll come on to those searches and what they are in in a moment. But yes, there are fees for those searches, um, and uh, there's also then land registry fees for calling up the title documents and stuff. Uh, but um, you, it's best to get a letter from the to a conventor or solicitor which gives you a breakdown of the fees and explains what's included and not included and the only extra additional cost which um, the conventor or solicitor will be responsible for is your stamp duty tax which you have to pay on purchase so uh one of the things that the solicitors or conveyances worry about is that you are who you say you are uh, so what do you have to do to prove that callum right off the bat it's with an ID parade, which is a bit like a fashion parade, but nowhere near as exciting. Essentially, you need to provide them all the usual AMLQ docs, um, which are uh, proof of ID, a proof of address. You'll also need to show them the source of wealth or a- source of funds. ALMQ, what was that? A- anti- AM- AMLQ, anti-money laundering qualification. So I got to say I got it wrong. AMLQ, anti-money laundering, or KYC is another... Mm-hmm. Uh, way to refer to it. So this is basically just uh, yeah anti-money laundering stuff to make sure you're not a international criminal or a wanted person. Um, and KYC has nothing to do with Kentucky chicken. It's um, know your customer, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. That's it. So um, there's two different ways to refer to it or uh, just ID check. So you, ID, proof of address, and then a bank statement showing source of funds. And then you'll often need to show those funds being built up. So if it's from employment, you know, you may need to show three months pay slips and three months bank statements just to show them that obviously what you're saying is true. They'll do their checks um, and it's job done. And that may seem like a lot, but if you're following the steps, you've already done that for your mortgage. So just keep it in a file on your computer and you can send them off again. Okay. Um, you now, you mentioned ID parade and fashion parade there, and I just it conjured up a horrible image of you um, wandering down the catwalk wearing your bank statements. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I have a very, very vivid imagination. Yeah, so, um, uh, calling up the title documents, that's the next stage. Uh, ben, take us through that. Yeah, sure. Now I can't get Callum on the catwalk out of my head now, which is quite weird. But, yeah, <laughs> segments are all very small, you know, as oh, well, God. so they don't really uh, need much of the imagination. <laughs> all right, let's move on. Let's yeah, move okay. on swiftly. So, so yeah, Paul, so the, the title register and the title plan, uh, which will be called up from the land registry, um, is split into three sections. So you've got the property register that will outline where the property is. Um, you've got the proprietorship register, which will tell you who owns the property, and then the charges register, um, that will tell you if there is any other interest in the property, so i.e. A, a secured loan or a mortgage as well. And if the property is a leasehold, the title documents will set out who owns a freehold, but that will be in a separate title uh, document. Uh, yeah, so the underlying freehold is uh, effectively the land the, the property sits on. And uh, if it's a freehold property, then it's just one house sitting on that land. If it's a leasehold, you might have apartments in that single block and they are leased 
by the freeholder. So you still have rights to use them, but it will set out then what the lease is and what the lease terms and so on. So again, further investigation for your conveyancer, uh, the the actual title. But it all proves that you are buying what you what you think you're buying. Uh, Callum, what about those searches, the local council searches? Uh, ben mentioned those earlier. Take us through some of those. Yeah, I mean, this is really, it's all... Um, you know, like we said earlier, caveat emptor, it's all to make sure that everything is it should be. So you can't obviously tell everything about a property just from looking at it. And this becomes more true with older properties, you know, just the natural passing of time. Uh, so there could be hidden defects, uh, problems with planning permissions. Maybe there's an extension that hasn't got planning that if you bought it, that might need to be taken down at a cost to you. Thing or, or other things affecting its overall value, you know, Things that you don't really even think of when you're looking at a property. Is there a tree close by that might fall down and fall on it? Or are there water mains that, that may impact where you can build? All of these sorts of things. Um, so your conveyancer will arrange you know, most of these searches for you. Some of the searches will be demanded by your mortgage provider. Again, because they just want to protect themselves. Uh, whilst others will be a legal requirement. So you know, it may seem like a lot. But again, if you're working with a team of conveyances that do all of this for you, it's just part of their job. And it's what they do every day. Yes. And it does also, you know, identify some, you know, hidden defects, like is your property sitting on a disused mine? Or are the council planning to build a railway through your garden? Uh, that kind of thing. So uh, dealing with the mortgage companies, that's another thing that the solicitor or conveyancer does. Um, how does that work, Ben? Yeah, sure. So just a first point on this, okay, so the solicitor or the conveyancer acts for yourself as the buyer, but they also will act for the mortgage company as well as a, as a sort of a legal requirement for them. Um, now, liaising with the mortgage companies is a key part of the process. So the buyer, uh, they will check the offer and the deal with any special requirements, such as what Callum mentioned earlier, so the, the local searches. Um, but also for the seller, um, they will call up redemption statements uh, to see how much is left on the, the mortgage, um, just to make sure that the money is transferred to the right people during the process, okay? Yeah, okay. Uh, so all that happens uh, when it comes to the exchange of contracts. So each listener draws up a contract for the purchase and the sale, um, and that gets exchanged. That's why it's called exchange of contracts. And once the buyer and seller and their representatives have agreed that everything's okay, uh, contracts can be exchanged along with the deposit monies. Now, usually it will be uh, 10%, I think. Uh, is it still 10%? Yes. Yeah, usually 10% on a on a normal residential. Uh, however, it might be is it higher on a buy to let? Yeah, well, it depends. I mean, again, it depends how you're buying it. If it's just a, a clean, straight purchase or if you're buying off plan, you know, some developers will be will be slightly different, but as a rule, 10%, and then you'll often need to top that up, especially as an overseas buyer, to get up to 20 or 30% in order to get a good quality mortgage. Okay, and that uh, that exchange of contracts, if you're in a chain, so the buyer and the seller are uh, buying at the same time, that, that exchange is kind of complicated to arrange. Uh, but that's why as well, you might need a your solicitor can can investigate further down the chain on your behalf uh, to to make sure that everything's working smoothly. Once uh, the contracts have been exchanged, you're obviously going to head towards the completion of the transaction. So what happens there? Okay, well, uh, once the exchange of contracts has happened, the sale of the property is legally binding and penalties will be incurred if the deal fails to go through. So it's quite a important date. Completion occurs when the money is transferred and the new owner is able to collect the keys and physically move in. 
So the conveyance will have prepared a financial statement which sets out all the elements of the transaction, the fees, the costs, and the tax payable. They're also responsible for making sure all the money goes to the right people, especially the mortgage companies, which is great because, again, you just deal with the conveyancer and not all of the other individual parties. And I've actually pulled up an email here, Paul, that was from a client who bought a property recently, and it's a breakdown of the legal fees. As we talk, we were just talking about uh, the conveyancers paying out to the mortgage companies. Some mortgage companies will only work with specific firms, which can complicate things, but it's not always the case. Uh, as your, unless your mortgage provider stipulates a specific firm. Uh, and sort of last point, I guess, while all solicitors will be qualified to undertake this type of legal work, not all will be experienced in the area or not all will specialise in it. So it makes sense to opt for a conveyancing expert that uh, specialises in residential property transactions, which again, you can find by speaking to the person you're buying the property off in most cases. Yes, um, your divorce lawyer might not be a specialist in. Uh, yes, that's it. I'll leave them out of it. Conveyancing. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, well, uh, take us through those legal fees then. Just uh, have, have a quick whiz through anything that strikes you from your client's email. Yeah. So this one, um, there they are. So the total is two thousand one hundred ninety-five, which I think is a bit pricey personally. Uh, but this was done. They found their own legal team, and they didn't work with you know, one that does this en masse, as we were just talking about. So you've got your, your general legal fees, which are £995 uh, plus VAT, which is pretty fair. You know, you're usually looking at 700 to 1500 just for them to carry out the work. And then within that, you had a, a leasehold legal fee, which is £500, land transaction tax administration fee, £30, bank transfer fee, £30, Anti-money laundering identification search ten pounds, company search twenty pounds, land regist- registration one hundred and fifty. Stay with me, we're almost there. Property searches one hundred and forty, land registry searches seven, and altogether that comes to just under two thousand two hundred. Okay, gosh, it all adds up, doesn't it? So, uh, the conveyancer once they've done all of that, they will also complete the process by registering the new ownership with the land registry and ensuring that the correct stamp duty land tax is paid. Uh, all that's land and buildings transaction tax in Scotland and land transaction tax in Wales. I hope this answers some of your questions about conveyancing. Uh, it's not exhaustive uh, information in this podcast, but uh, each transaction can throw up some unusual kinks and quirks in the process. Uh, things like uh, were the light fittings in the bathroom included in the sale that kind of stuff though you'll have a um, fixtures and fittings form that your solicitor will get you to fill out Uh, what happened to the doorknob on the back door etc you'd be amazed at the variety of stories there are out there in this complicated process of buying and selling a house but that's all for today Uh, look out for the rest of the podcast in this mini series the next is step five making an offer until then it's goodbye from ben goodbye paul Thank you very much, Ben Lewis there. And it's goodbye from Callum Williamson. Goodbye, Paul. Thanks for having us. And goodbye from me. My name is Paul Shearer. Have a lovely day. Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast series produced for APW by Emma Holton at Brilliant Audio. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe, hit like, share it with your friends. If you didn't, keep stum. You can find more episodes in all your usual podcast places.